All right. Well, let's uh, let's get started, and as people file in, they can uh, they can catch us midstream as they do. I am Seth Partner. This is Colin Shots. I am joined today by uh, the author of one of my very favorite books, uh, The MVP Machine, along with Travis Ochick, uh Ben Lindbergh, senior editor at The Ringer. Ben, how you doing? I was happy to do some sports talk. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because that's that's one of my that's sort of one of my favorite things. And I don't think we do enough of it. Is yeah. to try to try to you know, you learn so much about the edges of one sport by talking about another sport. A series on my about baseball effectively wild, where we various other sports sort of sum up the state research and and a little from each other. It's baseball is ahead of other sports when it comes to that stuff, and it's behind. So I think really it makes sense for us to talk to each other. Well, I, I hadn't planned on talking about this, but since you mentioned it, uh, what I, I've it, it's sort of the. Uh, Everyone kind of assumes, oh, baseball's a decade or more ahead of everyone. Yes. What are some areas where it isn't? Well, there are definitely lots that goes on in other sports. Think, oh, I remember 2010, or, you know, <laughs> or, or in some case earlier than that. And you kind of want to reach out and be like, hey, I know what comes next. <laughs> We've been through this whole thing before. Here's what happens. But I think there are some cases when it comes to biomechanics, high performance, that sort of area. I think baseball teams have actively gotten on board. Cases have hired people in soccer or in rugby or some other international contact sport. Baseball was a bit beast. A lot of the injuries are, are different. You know, there are soft tissue, of course, but a lot of the focus is on shoulders and how do we stop elbows from the as an allergy sports. But now that you're seeing sports science play a, a bigger role in baseball, which may force this conversation, a lot of teams have... I mean, that, that that's an interesting thought, just because, as you say, kind of the athletic demands of baseball are so different than most of the sports where kind of in the team setting where we're sports so far. So it's probably a, almost a reverse learning curve there. Yeah, there is a lot of stand around famously in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> and also a lot of uh, explosive throwing and in some respects. So getting into to... Um, I guess that, that is a, there's sort of a natural transition to what I want to talk about when you're talking about sort of the biomechanical aspect. Um, in the MVP machine, it seemed like the just the the observation of that at a very fine detail was one of the things that was was the driver. Of, I don't know. Do you want to call it a more scientific approach? Like, I, I, like how would you even describe the quote-unquote analytics-based approach to player development. Yeah, I think basically is just that this is a new... So, and the idea behind Moneyball, as it described, is that you're finding undervalued players who are already good, already productive, they already do valuable things, but for whatever reason, the market didn't realize and kind of the canonical. That was all about finding those players out there who were already finished products, right? And there wasn't much about making out, well, this guy's great right now, but we can change him. We can improve out how he can. So that's really has been about and about development. They drew us to this topic. is driven in many cases by players and by outsiders outside of the, who were wondering, how do I get better? What upon myself? somehow improved maybe didn't have the traditional qualifications major league baseball before now it's players better you have and all of those ideas kind of came together new technology able to measure of the ball batted balls of the bodies themselves they did not exist so use a high-speed camera 
look at for the pitch coming out of the VIN adjustments. Change your grip. So let's see what effect that produces. And maybe your spin rate is better. Maybe you get more efficient movement. And so all of those changes are being made now, whereas in the past, you might have gone from one minor league level where one coach said he saw something and told you to do something, and then you get promoted to the next level. The coach there sees something different, tells you to do something else. And there was no consistent message, and there was no objective. And so now that some degree of parity, this is when it came to old school, every team had quantitative analysts and an R&D department. Now it's become about building up the player development, acquiring this new technology, hiring coach, figuring out how can we make. So that I mean that's that. There's some direct parallels to basketball there. I think um, it's certainly at this point in in basketball, it's there are there are some teams that are sort of magically I don't know magically, but are ooh, they're they're very good at developing players, and and it's it's always a an interesting uh, debate as to whether they're better at identifying players who are already good and finding situations to put put them into, or they are actually developing NBA useful skills. Right. But at the same time, we don't have a, any, any real understanding of the mechanism by which players get better. Or maybe we do, but um, it's sort of the, the way it was in baseball for, for a number of years is, hey, you draft a bunch of high school and college kids and you throw them in the minor leagues and you shake them up for a couple of years and some of them will emerge on the other end as major leagues. Mm-hmm. And now all the, you know, at a very thick level, all these new methods are, if done well, improving the odds, right? That any one player will emerge from that as, as at a major league level. Yeah, that's right. And of good meant, and it's hard to assess. It's hard to separate scouting from player development. Good draft pick would produce better. And so, you have to players progressed what a projections would say with anything about their developmental path, but you do see certain teams as getting the most out of players in many cases. And, you know, there are players who kind of became player development, you know, hitters like JD Martin, you know, guys who were cast off by their East or traded really appear to have a, a ton of promise. They went out and they talked to independent hitting and they came back and, suddenly were among the best hitters in baseball because we remade themselves, saw coming. So there are some teams like the Astros, like the Rays, like the Yankees, like the Dodgers that have acquired a reputation of player development and have made investments in coaches and in technology to further those efforts. But, of course, everyone catches on pretty quickly. They really do have a huge edge. The teams are going to catch on by the time that someone is writing a book about it it's you know <laughs> pretty common knowledge probably with other teams look at teams and they say what are they we aren't why are we trading our players to them and then suddenly they get better uh, and players are looking at other players that they're playing against or are in their clubhouse and are saying hey you're suddenly throwing a lot harder when did you get that new pit did you learn that they say oh i went i worked with that coach and so it's hard to maintain the advantages because everyone kind of catches on. Either have a copycat situation, you just do what their team did, or in some cases, maybe you actually coach people from that team to do the same thing for your team. <laughs> and so I don't think necessarily at a new parity yet, we're at the same thing already. The, the gaps of close have lagged behind are aware that they're lagging behind. 
So I, I have two questions and I see that uh, Bengals has a question to ask and I'll, I'll ask one of mine first and then we'll, we'll get them on for their question. But the first question is maybe slightly impertinent and it's what would you say to someone who said, well, all right, these guys kind of washed out in one, one club and then bounced around and something happened and then they got a lot better. Um, how was that different than, I don't know, David Ortiz? Like, you know, he's, he was, uh, uh, you know, or, or David Arias, as, he, as I guess he was for the, for the Twins. Um, you, you know, that he, he is a kind of a, a single, a slap-hitting singles hitter for the Twins and then, like, gets released and comes to the Red Sox. And it's like, actually, no, pull the ball and hit home runs and then, you know, becomes a Hall of Famer. Um, and that was not through the benefit of, of any sort of modern, uh, you know, analytics-based training approach. So, and you can obviously, you can look throughout the history of baseball and see those kind of almost the happenstance and, and kind of law of large numbers of someone, sure. you know, making a, making, and I say I use David Ortiz because I'm a Red Sox fan. So of course that's, that, that's, that's near and dear to my heart. But, um, but so what, what is your answer to that sort of, uh, that 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 skepticism. Right. Yeah, in Ortiz's case specific, you could make the wasn't necessarily that the Red Sox uh, were trying to something he wasn't right restraining him or go the other way type guy. I think went against also his and so that was kind of an counterproductive player development. So when he gets to the Red Sox and they just be you, he was. Uh, I think that sort of thing wouldn't happen today. Not just because teams value power and. But also because there's less of a really inflexible kind of one-size-fits-all philosophy when it comes to player development. Wave of technology, you can kind of figure out what player does well, as opposed to just having general type. You you know a box that you want to fit every player. You want our guys to be slap hitters and go the other way. Well, you can't turn everyone into that kind of player. Holding them back from their. I think a lot of this movement been about just recognizing what players are already good at and saying, hey, do that more, instead of saying, we're going to mold you in what we think you should. In a lot of cases, it's been, hey, you throw this good curveball, and the metrics are really great, and it has these great... You should be throwing this twice as often as you are, or three times as often as... And so it's not teaching someone something new, emphasize that what they do best, do most often. So... It's certainly true breakout players throughout the history of baseball and guys who have gotten better at being bad or, or not being as it was more haphazard, though. And, and, you know, sometimes you would happen to find the right team and the right coach and the right combination of teacher and player who could help you unlock something. It's not like, you know, when baseball didn't know the history of the sport. But I think it wouldn't have been on, you know, you were on the right team at the right time with who knew how to throw and shared to cross paths with her or a coach. Sure. Okay. Well, um, Bengals, hopefully Ben is, is, has, has not been lost to us again. But if you want to, uh, well, what's your question? And, and uh, if, if I can answer it, I will. And if Ben is back, okay. I'll answer it as well. Okay. So I'm going to bring up someone from the Reds, Jose Barrero. He... He, I just want to bring him up because he had massive player development from when he went into the league, through the minors, and to the Reds right now. And he he went from power hitter, I mean like a contact hitter, always the third, always out. And then he went from contact power, 
home runs warning track. I just want to. I just want to wonder how how did it happen so fast? Ah, that's a. a I I think it had a lot to do with arrived right at the C era of every ballpark pitch FX, and then Trackman came along a similar but in a bin of the pitch accurate way, and then suddenly there was Statcast in every MLB park in 2015. So, in a span of less than 10 years. All of these tools that would have seemed like science fiction when I got interested in baseball or even started covering baseball. You couldn't of having all, even though baseball is a sport that has always kept close track of performance, been spoiled in that respect. All of this motion tracking technology, all of these tools at roughly the same time. So I think that was the couldn't have happened the way that it's happened without some of this, without the ability to have a high speed camera, the things that can't see with the human eye make these adjustments just be guessing what was happening you would guess or make an educated guess or it'd be trial and error during a certain pitch the hitters will tell you good pitch or not because they'll either hit it or they won't that takes a long time that could take years and you can go down dead ends you know throw something that's going to work out for you end up bouncing around data and explain it and 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 that's been another of this whole movement is that Sticking some other tracker on the end of a bat or in a batting cage. It's very much about the process of analyzing that information and distilling it down to the player, why you think they should do something, why they could benefit from that, and then bombard them, avalanche of tune you out, right? You have to justify why you think so. I think that's been a, we in the book called conduits, was sort of a higher former player, people who have the credibility to walk into a clubhouse and say, hey, I've been in news and I know what it's like to be a baseball player and I'm also interested in data and this kind of analysis. And so I can, in terms that you'll understand, I can speak to the front office people and then I can just to the players. And now there's a a lot of investment will have kind of been a hybrid with players. Now you have a, a generation of players that are coming up in this era. And so they don't need their hands held quite as much they're not as wary of it from now. I don't know that for a while there, it was heads, you numbers, nerd, stay up there in the office, doesn't really do anything as a player development. The traditional money ball, and it's sign this guy or trade for that guy. But when you're talking about, you actually have to talk to the players to convince them to do or else stay in the Sure. So you said, uh, and I see uh, Dana and Steven, I'll, I'll, you guys have questions. I, I had one thing I wanted to follow up on first, then we'll get to Dana. Um, you said something that's really interesting earlier, where you said it, it was a lot about the player finding the right situation, the right coach. Um, that's sort of a thing that's often remarked upon about, um, you know, in many ways, baseball's kind of is a is a simpler game in that if you're good, you're sort of context agnostically good. And I know I'm I'm oversimplifying, but in 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 basketball, certainly the NBA level the differentiation in skill level between, say, the 250th and 800th best player in the world is pretty minute. Mm-hmm. And so the difference between being a useful mainstay on a team and playing in the G League or overseas is is that, is finding the right situation. Um, and so that that's almost, that, that, that strikes me as a level of complication uh, why... Um, maybe 
more scientific scientific player development has been slower to come to basketball. But to that end, I kind of have a sort of a, almost a broader, bigger picture question, which is is how do players get better? Like at a, at a base level, what what is happening? Are there different kinds of improvements that we see, and and maybe that that leads down the role of like the kinds of things that uh, maybe an sort of an analyst and liaison position can help with, and some areas where they can't. Yeah, uh, pitchers uh, maybe most common way. Often just will uh, click Northwest or, you know, get a workup where they get all the cares and figure out how they even do they complement each other. And you can get on a mound and have a high-speed camera in tracking and movement tracking device. And you can just see, hey, this is coming out of my hand this way. Didn't even know that I was touching the ball in this way or that it was, you know, brushing this finger as it exited my hand because it just happens too fast to hear or feel. So you see that slowed down for you, make a minute adjustment, hold the ball slightly different, throw it again, and then you get that feedback of am I getting more movement? Am I getting more spin now? And so that process of pitch design, basically figuring out what do I throw, you know, what should I throw, what can I throw of my hand and my arm angle and all these other, you know, what you currently throw and how effective are those pitches, you can just kind of design what pitches you should be throwing and how you throw them in theory easier said than done maybe but a lot of pitchers have had success with that process when it comes to mechanics you know that's a related you have biomechanic information now where you don't actually have to go to a lab and have a bunch of markers attached to your body and in this non-game related there are systems set up in every mlb park now where you can get markerless motion capture, very precise, and you get tools of all of these different segments of your body and the forces that are applied, and could I be more efficient in my motion here? You know, could I direct more of my force into the ball and toward home plate, maybe, uh, you know, lower my injury risk or gain a little extra velocity? And with hitters, things have lagged a bit, but you do have, you know, vests that you can wear, let's say, that will kind of track the various parts of your body during the swing. And, and you know, are they firing in the right board with the right four? You can attach a tracker to the end of your bat and you can, is the angle, you know, I think in the past there was emphasis on a line drive swing or even hitting down on the ball. Now that the ball is carrying better and there's a great mission of the value of the home run, see more of an emphasis on hitting the ball, you know, on a trajectory. And that's not necessarily new, you know, Ted, Oh, um, believe I believe Ben was about to note that Ted Williams did uh, always preached uh, swing with it with an uppercut. Uh, Dana, while we're waiting for for Ben to uh, to uh, rejoin us, I you've been waiting patiently, so wondering what your uh, what your question is. If you hit the unmute button at the bottom right there, you can. There you okay, go. thank you. I'll give Ben a little bit of time to get back and give a strong recommendation to his books. They're both great. Um, well, the two I'm thinking of are great. Even for primarily basketball fans, I think they get a lot out of them. I've, I've, I'll, I've honestly, I've recommended the MVP machine to half a dozen player development folks in the NBA. It's, you know, it's repeatable. Oh. Just some of the options, of course. You know, there's also off-field stuff and nutrition and sleeps. On all how you live, the impacts how you play. 
Sure. Uh, you, you cut out for a second there, but uh, Dana was, was uh, just giving a, a strong a strong recommendation to, to your books, and then he had a question, so let him, let him get to that. Yeah, with the draft, I was wondering, is there a feeling on, would you like to draft a college player that has familiarity with this technology? Or would you like a guy that's more raw, where maybe you get, maybe you take a chance on coachability and familiarity, but you have like a chance for easier gains? Yeah, that's a, a good question. All of these things that we've been talking about filtered down in high schools. You know, you have to be careful about some of these things because uh, you hook up <laughs> to cameras, you know, devices and playing baseball for a while before you figure out how to scientifically optimize their performance. And also, you know, still growing if you're that telling or full yet. But certainly at the college level, there are really just as advanced as in, in some cases, actually college prober ahead lately, actually hiring coaches from the college ranks. Um, they have uh, early adopters' ideas, just less resistant, more of an avenue, you know, outside of the, the typical make at those jobs. So I think that can be an advantage, certainly. You know, I don't know whether you would draft someone solely because schools that had a pitching lab or that sort of thing, but that would manifest itself to some extent in the stuff, in the data and the performance, right? And so you would have to take that into account because it'd be good to know, is this player already optimized, you know? Is this a player who has already made the tweaks that we would want them to make and therefore there's not going to be a whole lot of improvement left. You could say, well, this other player, he is not as polished, but that's just he didn't go to the school that had that kind of promo. He's a high school player. Changes. So you'd only draft one or the other, but you would have to be aware of what that planning has been like and what their development. And it kind of depends maybe on the player in the timeline because you are trying to compete now and you have a player. Hmm. Looks like Ben cut out again. I was just—I was going to say as he was talking about this, and and thanks for the question, Dana. It's a—it's uh, actually there's there's an interesting uh, basketball analogy here, which is um, uh, a friend of mine uh, named Evan Zamir, who is who is the develop the original developer of the NBA Wowie uh, website, uh, with or without you. Um, he likes to describe uh, player like draft prospects as having fat guy upside, which is you know a player who has lots of skills but is has some obvious conditioning issues. And then you, I mean, the, the classic example right now of that is Draymond Green, who was uh, like a much svelter player in the NBA than he was in college. And he looked like a, a kind of a heady cerebral guy who lacked NBA athleticism in college. And then, you know, he's, he's 30 pounds lighter and in better shape. And all of a sudden he's, you know, possibly the greatest defensive player of his generation. Now that's, that's something that uh, is, um, Unusual to say the least, but uh, um, I, I don't know if you caught that. But uh, but there was, I was expounding on the the sort of the uh, theory, a draft theory in the NBA yes. called 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 fat guy upside. Yes. Which <laughs> um, no, so so, but that's that's I mean, like deciding which of those is the better or worse between having gotten this training and being familiar with it, so you're ready to take it on, versus just just not having gotten sort of that bump that that like hook you up to the matrix bump right. that, you, that you could get. Um, I, so you, you start you earlier, you're you kind of making the distinction between uh, pitchers and hitters. Mm-hmm. And I think hitters are almost a better analogy to basketball because um, 
the only real analog to something that you that at least to me that that you could really analogize to sort of the the rap soto stuff with uh with the, and the edutronic stuff mm-hmm. with with pitchers is free throw shooting mm-hmm. and yeah you could you could I mean, you could improve someone's free throw shooting and, and presumably that, that would carry over to the rest of their jump shooting. But it seems like there's not, there's, you know, the, the variations in almost every other basketball movement would make that much tougher. But with, with hitters, it, it seems like part of the reason why this has been slower is, yeah, you can do all this mechanical stuff, but it's the, it's the, it's the real-time decision-making the spatial awareness, the the anticipation, the pattern recognition that is that that you know determines swing or not swing and where when that's that's like the and and so where is baseball now in terms of training those um, you know uh, I guess we call those cognitive um, um, improvements because I think that's the the part where it has the 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 um, the most relevance I guess to to what something that might translate into whether it's you know basketball or soccer or 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 hockey or even even like you know gridiron football is is in terms of of that in the moment decision making yeah exactly hitters have always kind of behind when it comes to new technology or or new ways of improving themselves just because it is a reactive activity can kind of tell whether a pitcher will have success without even having a hitter in the box. I have them throw to no one, and they're actually at full game intensity, then you can measure their pitches and see, will this be successful against a real hitter? Whereas with a hitter, it would be tough to tell, just based on the swing, whether you learn more, I think, about the pitcher from just the movement of the pitch after it leaves their hand than you do about the hitter from tracking the batted ball, which certainly tells you something, you know, if you hit the ball at a certain angle or, or at a certain, that is telling, but not quite as telling as all the information you're getting on a thrown ball. So as you said, you know, a lot of that does come down to picking up pitch and plate discipline and these split second decisions. And that has. Oh man, he cut out right as he was getting to the, getting to the good part of the answer. Um, give him a second to come back and then uh, um, see if get get that fully answered because that's something I'm I'm frankly very intrigued about because that is um, really the area of basketball where um, the teams have gotten pretty good over the last 15 years at uh, many teams call them something like vitamins which is a sort of a daily routine that can get players physical skills sharper and better you know better get tighten up your handle and improve your jump shot and things of that nature. But um, it doesn't necessarily teach you how to read coverages coming off of pick and roll or knowing when to rotate and to where and how to close out when you do so on defense. And so that sort of decision-making training is much more difficult. And so that's the part that I'm uh, more interested in, I think has, has great um, application to basketball, but hopefully like to, hear Ben expound upon, uh, you know, what, what has been done to, to help hitters in that area. Um, so you, you had, uh, you were, you had just started saying, and the, like the interesting thing is, and then uh, like the, the good part. And then it's just like, Oh, he's gone. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, you were, you were just starting to talk about how, like what that sort of mental training, I guess, if for lack of a better term has been for hitters. Right. So 
worked on the book, which for the years ago already, companies like Neuroscouting or DeServo either assess or prove or possibly both uh, your system. Often it's just like a piece of software. It's, you know, here's a simulate. You will wire you up in some way and track your brain waves and you can see the swing or not time you as you classify, oh, that's a fastball, that's a curveball, you know, how quickly do you pick up on that? I think there's still some uncertainty about how much potential there is to improve that, or whether that is something that's mostly hardwired, that the Red Sox drafted Mookie Betts in part because they gave all of their potential draftees exams and they were able to detect the picking up pitches and maybe swing decisions. And so I think it's part of the evaluation tools that teams use these days. The question is, can you improve that processing speed and accuracy? And I don't think that's settled yet. Although, you know, the availability of virtual reality tools is certainly something that's been helpful there that a lot of player teams have started using. It's uh, a little more lifelike. Someone who looks like a pitcher throwing pitches that look like that pitcher's pitches. If you're uh, warming up before a game and you know that you're facing this pitcher against a VR version of the real life thing. So that sort of thing is helpful, I think. It's still an open question as there whether you use that skill, whether that's as malleable as... Um, that that is that is sort of the question in pre NBA evaluation, really early in NBA evaluation of players is, you know, for the the term basketball IQ is is one I've I've tried to stop using because it's you know if you've ever watched a college basketball game there's some some very kind of insidious ways in which terms like that get sure. deployed so it's so I, I prefer feel as as sort of a catch all for that and mm-hmm. like the question of can feel be improved and how much? So if a player doesn't demonstrate feel when they're 17, what does that mean? You know, versus if they're high feel at 17, do they have it made in the shade? And it's kind of, we we don't know. Because especially the the players who, there there does seem to be the players who are best at demonstrating feel at a young age tend to be those who have to (laughs) because they're kind of more athletically limited. Right. So it's it's sort of the, the you kind of get the 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 almost the um the the less explosive grinder who yeah. is like wow he lo- he knows how to play versus the you know the super athlete who might have good feel but just doesn't doesn't matter because they're just physically dominant over people their own age. We got a lot of questions that still matter. It being a grinder, spending more hours and more hours and whatever it was, maybe that is not efficient or it doesn't make up for. But, but it reminds the coaches ways. of themselves though. <laughs> That's true. <Yeah. laughs> but in some ways, a, a makeup, a good makeup, or you know, than ever, really, the practice is very important, even now, maybe even more so, because you actually know what you should be practicing and how you should be practicing this more efficiently and deliberately. So to have the makeup to do that, you know, I don't know whether work ethic is as teachable as a new pitch or as a different swing, right? And, you know, if someone's not willing to put in that time or isn't receive the input, you know, they're not going to apply any of the, in some respects, I think maybe makeup is, you know, having the will for thousands and thousands of hours might not be enough. But in other ways, if is out there for those who want it and are willing to work at it, then it's even more important. Sure. So basically, um, it's still a, a short version is even in baseball, like that sort of, that mental side of it is is kind of a, a still a a very open question. 
Yeah, I, that's the sequel, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so the the sequel is just a uh, MVP machine two shrug emoji. Um, <laughs> right. That's that's probably a tougher pitch, tougher sell to get to get yeah. that one published. Um, uh, given that 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 we've had some, so you've had some, uh, you've been cutting in and out a little bit. Kind of want to get you out of get you out of here in a, in a second here, but. Uh, I did promise that I'd give you a chance to to plug your stuff. Uh, I like when did first of all, so that I know, it's the first I'd heard of it. When on Effectively Wild were you doing these sort of cross sport pods? So how uh, how far back do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> that was about two years ago. I okay. can uh, I can send you a we we called it the multi sport, and we had uh, a whole lot of thinkers from various, not just the major ones, but less obvious ones. So I learned a lot from that for sure, but. But, uh, yeah, people interested in baseball, they can effectively wild at fangraphs.com, the usual podcast place. We are still <laughs> proceeding. Uh, we are still proceeding as, as ben, ben cuts out again. Um, well, I, I want to really thank him for coming on. And, and unfortunately, we had some of, these, some of these hiccups while we were going. But I uh, want to thank everyone for, for taking the time to listen. And... Um, I will be back on Monday with uh, Mirren Fader uh, from The Ringer, also from, also from The Ringer, and she's going to talk about uh, her uh, biography of Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, recent story she did. I thought a really, really excellent story she did on uh, DeMar DeRozan um, in the last week or so, and, and some of the other things that, that she's written about recently, and, and uh, kind of get back on my home turf of, of talking more straight back a little bit. So... Um, Uh, Thanks, Ben, for coming on. Thanks, folks, for listening, and talk to you on Monday.